age 16, this man lied about his age and joined the army. Three months later, he was discharged. From there, he worked as a blacksmith helper for two months before he quit and was looking for another job. Well, he landed a job on a railroad. While there, he met uh, his future wife, Josephine. Actually married her, then cheated on her, then divorced her, and married his mistress. He worked for some time in the, well, for the day, then in the evenings he studied law. He got some sort of drive. It took him quite a while, but he finally got his law degree, his law practice, and very early on in his law career, it ended because he got a report from Grawl with one of his clients. <laughs> Where did he go from there? He moved back into Montau. And he got a job selling insurance, but soon got fired for insubordination. <laughs> I don't know how long it was after that, but he got another job at Michelin Tires, selling tires. Bob lost that job too. Tell me, First Free Methodist Church, what do you think of this man, Harlan David? And you can be brutally honest with me because he's not here to defend himself. Would you hire him? Would you want him as a co-worker? Would you invest any sort of stock or money into this man? No. No, I think he's cute, but no. Okay. Good point. Bridget, I want to tell you that there is more to Harlan David than we can see. There is more beneath the surface on him. We're going to come back to the story in just a second. We want to open God's word. We want to learn from it this morning. I want to pray for our time. And then as I, as I begin, I'll invite you to open up to Genesis chapter 25. We're going to spend most of our time somewhere between Genesis 25 and Genesis 50. So let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for an opportunity to open your word. Thank you that we can interact with it. Thank you that we can wrestle with it. Thank you that through it, ultimately, you point us back to yourself. I pray that you would do that this morning. Father, I pray that uh, my words would be your words, that you would guide and direct as I speak. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, open up your Bibles, Genesis chapter 25. Uh, you can follow along the different verses that I'll be in, either in your bulletin or up on the screen. We're in a week three, a final week, squeezed into five weeks of March. Week three of a three-week series on the patriarchs. We looked at Abraham, and we saw that his life was a series of... Oh, you got to remember that. He's been a real problem for a while. Last week, we got a visit from Isaac. He stopped by. And I love it because uh, somebody very close to me came up to me afterwards and said, I know that was you. <laughs> How did you know? I saw your watch. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Isaac came last week and, and he told the story of his own life and how in a lot of ways his story was like father, like son. We saw how one of the life events that he went through very much resembled uh, Jesus and his passion event and, and his death on the cross. This week, we're going to look at the final of the victory patriarchs, Jacob. Listen to how the Bible describes him. From a few different translations, I'm sure each of these translations are out of here somewhere. And uh, this description of Jacob that is best understood when uh, put right next to, right side by side with his twin brother Esau. 
This is Genesis chapter 25, verses 27 to 29, in several different translations. First, the NIV. It says, The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebecca loved Jacob. That's the NIV. The English Standard Version reads like this. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a uh, man in the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, Rebecca loved Jacob. New American Standard Version. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter and a man of the field, but Jacob was a peaceful man, living in tents. Once again, Isaac loved Esau more, Rebecca loved Jacob more. The King James Bible, and the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a clean man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his medicine, but Rebecca loved Jacob. Finally, the New Living Translation, as the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, with, uh, excuse me, but Jacob had a quiet temper. Preferring to stay at home, Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home, but Rebecca loved Jacob. We're looking at Jacob this morning, and from what you've just heard and the ways that he was described, what do you think of him? Mama's boy. Mama's boy? Thank you. That's going to be my first point. <laughs> Anything else? Sounds like your husband. I'm, I'm sorry for anything I say. Okay, so that can be sounds like my Awesome. What else do you think of him? Peaceful, quiet, okay. Introvert. Intellectual. Okay, good. Good. So you guys here to give us some, some positive. Uh, maybe for the second time I have to confess something this morning. Uh, when I thought of Jacob, when I read those passages, and I wonder if how many other people think of this, I had the picture of Jacob as a quiet, weak sauce plumber. Okay, a sissy lala, and if you go back to how he described that word, a sissy lala with no hair on his chest. Okay, he's a pale faced man. I got that when I read these different versions. These are stereotypes that, you know, could arise when you look at Jacob's story. Some of these hold really true. He could have been described as a mama boy. Whoever said that first? I think most of us are familiar with the story of Jacob tricking his dad, Isaac, and getting a blessing that his older twin brother deserved by birthright. Genesis chapter 27, verses 1 to 13. One day when Isaac was old enough and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and said, my son, yes, father, Esau replied. I'm now an old man, Isaac said, and I don't know where to be. Take your bow and quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. But Rebecca, but mommy, overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau. And when Esau left to hunt the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, I see, 
overheard your father say to Esau, bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I'll bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, she says, listen to me and do exactly as I tell you. Well, of course, bring me the four goats. I'll cook your dad's favorite meal. And then the blood too. But look, Jacob said to Rebekah, his mom, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and my skin is smooth. When his father touches me, he'll see that I'm trying to trick him, and then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. But his mother replied, then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. Go out and get the goats for me. Who drove that story? Was it a strong and powerful Jacob? No. It was a woman who twice said, listen here, boy, look at those bets. When the twin brother got a little upset over this and decided he killed uh, Jacob later, once again, this mummy steps in and saves the day. Now go over to chapter 27, verse 42. But Rebecca heard about Esau's plans. She sent for Jacob and told him, listen, Esau's consulted himself by plotting and killing you. So listen carefully, my son. Geranium plumes. Go to my brother Laban. Stay there until your brother cools off. And when he comes, calms down, I'll send for you. Then Rebecca went to Isaac and said, Oh, I'm super tired of you. Please don't let Jacob marry you again. So Jacob called in his son and, and blessed him and said, You must not marry any of these wonderful women. Essentially, your, your mom. Now, it could also be said that this, uh, this mom boy was regularly taken advantage of, regularly tricked. He got tricked by Laban after working hard for seven years to earn his wife, Rachel, chapter 29, verse 22. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood to prepare a wedding feast. But that night when it was dark, Laban took Leah. Sister. Laban took Leah to Jacob and he slept with her. Laban had given, some, uh, had given Leah a servant, Zilpah, to be her maid. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me? Jacob said to Laban, I've worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? I know that all the guys in here are thinking to yourself, the last seven years looking at Rachel, right? Every time she walked by. And he gets to his wedding night. For Jacob's credit, okay? In that culture when, uh, when, when a young lady got married, a veil was put over her face. Okay? And it stayed over her face the entire wedding night, that first night with her husband. So it very well could have been that Jacob uh, enjoyed the celebration. Drank a little bit of his, uh, his father-in-law's wine and went to bed, not seeing who this was, and then woke up the next morning and went, what? But he was tricked. Bottom line, right? He was tricked. I don't really want to defend him because I see him as a quiet man. He preferred a little more for this, but this funny. And it seemed like that night he really got mad. This wasn't the only time he got tricked by his father-in-law. Jacob and Laban, they were trying to, to work out an agreement for Jacob's share of the wealth. 
And they came up with this idea of spotted speckled sheep being Jacob. And listen to what happened in Genesis chapter 30, verses 32. Jacob had said, Let me inspect your flocks today, remove all the sheep and goats that are speckled or spotted, along with all the black sheep. Give these to me as my wages. He got down to 34. All right, Laban said, It will be as you say. But that very day, Laban went out, removed the male goats that were streaked and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, and white patches, and all the black sheep. And he placed them in the care of his own sons, who took them a three days' journey away from Jacob. Meanwhile, Jacob continued to care for the rest of Laban's flocks. Tricked again. This wouldn't be the last time Jacob was later tricked by his own sons when they came to him and said, Look, your favorite son Joseph has been eaten by an animal. Read that story in Genesis chapter 37. Trick again, so far. We've seen that Jacob in a mama's way was easily tricked. Let's continue with this um, not so pleasant view of him. Uh, when opportunities came that, that would have set him off, or that we would have thought would have set him off, we sometimes see a timid man who did not take action. Jacob's daughter, Dinah, was raped, and her brothers took revenge, and they killed all the men from that city. We pick up the story in Genesis chapter 34, verse 27 to 29. Meanwhile, the rest of Jacob's sons arrived. Finally, the men slaughtered, they plundered the town because their sister had been defiled. They seized all the flocks and herds and donkeys, everything they could lay their hands on, both inside the town and outside of the city. They looted all their wealth and plundered their houses. They also took all their little children and their wives and led them away as captives. Now, one would think that as a father whose daughter had just been violated and whose sons had really stood up for her, that Jacob wouldn't have walked around that night into his tent, right? Now, maybe if he was a rugged outdoorsman who loved to hunt like his twin brother Esau. But not Jacob. Jacob started thinking about the repercussions of this. Verse 30, after Jacob, afterward, Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you guys have ruined me. You've made me stink among the people of this land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. We are so few that they will join forces with us and crush us. I'll be ruined. My entire household will be wiped out. There's some timidity there. First, the sons didn't like his answer. They said, why should we let him treat our sister like a prostitute? They had retorted angrily. This was an opportunity for Jacob to stand up and show some like, ah, but we don't see that. This isn't the only place. Next chapter, listen to what happened. Then at Jacob, this is chapter 35, verse 21. Then Jacob traveled on and camped beyond the Migdal Eater. While he was living there, Reuben, his oldest son, and intercourse with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Jacob soon heard about it. So what did he do? The son of his violated, uh, a woman that belonged to him, a wife of concubine, who broke the law, what did he do? The text is silent. It doesn't say anything, and I can only assume that means that Jacob was also silent. He was also quiet, as the verses we looked at earlier describes a mama's boy. Easily taken advantage of, timid, 
This picture I'm painting of Earth's church, just this little, of Jacob, just this, this little picture we're seeing in our biblical text, would it lead you to hire his hand? Would it, would it lead you to call him up and ask him to be on your team? Would it lead you to question maybe his character? Let me tell you what. There's more to Jacob than we see. There's stuff beneath the surface. Before we get there, though, I want to back up further to David. The story I started with. Most of you, in fact, I think all of you said, no way we wouldn't hire this guy. We wouldn't want to work with him. We would not invest in this guy. But I told you, yeah, that there was more to him. In fact, Richard probably said, or Richard did say, well, what if, what if there was more? Yeah, let me continue his story. He had lost his job working for Michelin, selling tires, right? By chance, he got hired to manage a camp station. And he worked there for six years. Right? It shows his longevity compared to what he had been doing. The Great Depression came along, forced the gas station to close. It didn't take too long for him to get hired on by Shell Oil Company, working another gas station. Now, while there, this man, Harlan David, started cooking chicken. Then where he'd been in the kitchen since he was really little, age six, cooking for his younger brothers and sisters. So he started cooking his chicken there, and he would sell them off his kitchen table, which was attached to the gas station, because he lived there rent-free. It took about 10 years, but Harlan David perfected a secret recipe. <laughs> 1940. I don't think he jumps ahead. Come on now. For 19 years, this man cooked chicken. He managed a couple of different restaurants that belonged to other people. And in 1959, he opened his first restaurant. Five years later, he had 600 restaurants that were selling chicken. Harlan David Sanders. Dove for the curl. Five years after, he got his first restaurant, sold his share in the United States portion for over $2 million. He kept in this business of chicken, working out of the KFC Museum in Canada for the rest of his life. He later befriended Billy Brand, and he was baptized in the Georgia River along with his wife in 1970. He died 10 years later, 1980. Something beneath the surface, yes? As you know from this before, would you have invested in Harlan David Sanders? <laughs> Jacob, Jacob of Pada Aram, the third patriarch. There was more to him beneath the surface. Okay? Our text calls him a quiet man, content to live at home among the tents, a man who was well loved by his mother. Let me tell you what, I have learned from firsthand experience that the quiet boys whose mothers really love them often have some amazing, powerful, God-given oath in them. Learn to never look past those cheeks. Jacob, quiet, yes, yes. Tricked a few times, but dumb and naive, not the least bit. Okay? We see this cleverness early in his life. Genesis 25, verse 24 to 26 tells us about his birth. It says, When the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she was indeed having twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. They named him Esau. The other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. His dad was 60 years old when he was born. The 
text then gives us a brief description that we looked at in five different translations, and then it jumps right into the narrative of how Jacob acquired his brother's birthright. We don't even know how old the boys were at this time. And we know they were old enough to play with bows and arrows, and we know Jacob was old enough to work his own stuff. Okay? But we don't know how old that they were. In this story, we begin to see what's beneath the surface of Jacob. Yes, he tricks his older brother. Yes, his name means deceiver. But he tricks his brother, who is dying of hunger, in a way that would hold up in court. In a way that would be held up by the village elders. Watch this, Genesis 25, verse 29 and following. One day, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness house in the country. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. Verse 31, all right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first you must swear to me that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling his rights as the firstborn to his brother, Jacob. Do you see that? A double promise. First, say you'll give it to me. Then, swear it's mine. That's genius. Okay? Jacob used the same tactic on the other end of his life. As he was much older, he was about to die, and he arranged was arranging his final resting place with his son of Joseph. Genesis chapter 47, verse 29. As the time of his, his death drew near, Jacob called for his son Joseph and said to him, Please do me this favor. Put your hand under my thigh and swear that you will treat me with unfailing love by honoring the last request. Do not bury me in Egypt. When I die, please take my body out of Egypt and bury me with my ancestors. So Joseph promised, I will do as you ask. Jacob's response, swear to me that you will do it. So Joseph gave an oath, and Jacob bowed humbly at the head of his bed. Another double promise. Genius. Let's keep digging beneath the surface. This, this is fun. I used to think that because Jacob preferred to live in a home, Amongst the tent, that he wouldn't have been much of an outdoorsman. But on his trip to Bethel, did he take his down feather duvet comforter and his neighbor's pillow? No, no. Genesis 28, verse 11. At sundown, Jacob arrived at a good place to set up camp, and he stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. How many of you camped? How many of you ever tried to sleep with a rock underneath your pillow? Genesis chapter 31, 
verse 1 and 2, it says, But two of Jacob learned that Laban's sons were grumbling about him. Verse 2, And Jacob began to notice the change in Laban's attitude towards him. Go down to verse 4. So Jacob called his, his wives, Rachel and Leah, out to the field where he was watching his flock. And he said to them, I noticed your father's attitude towards me has changed. The God of my father has been is your picture of Jacob, the certain patriarch, beginning to change now? It should, because we're just barely scratching the surface, below the surface, and we've seen him to be wise in his double promises, more rugged than originally thought, hardworking, and a man who could discern and foresee timing on major decisions. Now, our text may have called him a quiet man, but that didn't mean he didn't have emotion. He was full of emotion. Chapter 45, it says he was stunned. Chapter 32, it describes him as terrified. Chapter 31, it describes him as angry and challenging. Chapter 30, he was called furious. In chapter 29, verse 25, it says, Jacob raged. These are outwardly emotion-filled words. Yes? You would expect these from a quiet man. The emotions didn't just come out in these tense moments. Jacob learned the use of emotion on how to win a girl's heart. When he arrived at Pararam, the land of extended family, he began a conversation with a local shepherd at a well. Listen to how that took place. This is chapter 29, verses 3 and 4. As it was the custom of theirs to wait for all the flocks to arrive before removing the stone and watering the animals. They had custom. Afterward, the stone would be placed back over the mouth of the well. So Jacob went over to the shepherds and asked, Hey, where are you guys from, my friend? Verse 9. Jacob was still talking with them when Rachel arrived with her father's flock, for she was a shepherd. Because Rachel was his cousin, the daughter of Laban, the mother of his mother's brother, and because the sheep and goats belonged to his uncle Laban, Jacob went over, presumably before all the rest of the flock were there, and removed the stone from the mouth of the walk of the well and watered his uncle's flock. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. Verse 18, since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you seven years so that you'll give me Rachel as my wife. This man who was quiet but had emotions knew or learned the custom and then broke them in a way to say to the girl, Look, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to push boundaries to do whatever it takes to care for you. That's not bad. Now, I don't know if Jacob would appreciate these text comments, but I'll, I'll say this because uh, it's in the text. This man of quiet temperament must have really known how to treat a woman. If you read the accounts in the Genesis of Rachel's interaction, or excuse me, Jacob's interaction with Rachel and Leah and Bilhah and Zilpah, all the wives and contrast to Jacob, you see that just about every time you turn the page, he was back in the bedroom with one of them. And the babies, they just kept coming. Twelve boys, one daughter, just what we have listed. So we can call this emotion filled. Quiet man, a lover, yes? Which is a natural fit for someone with 
others later. What's my crime he demanded? What have I done wrong to make you chase after me as though I were a criminal? You have rummaged through everything I own. Now show me what you have found that belongs to you. Do it here in front of all our relatives for all to see. Let them be the judge between us. Look, for 20 years I have been with you, <coughs> caring for your flocks. In all that time, your sheep and goats never miscarried. In all those years, I never used a single ram of horse for food. If any were attacked and killed by wild animals, I never showed you the darkness and had you to reduce the count of your flock. No, I took the loss myself. You made me pay for every stolen animal, whether it was taken in broad daylight or in the dark of night. Verse 40. I worked for you through the scorching heat of the day and through the cold and sleepless nights. Yes, for 20 years I've slaved in your house. I've worked for 14 years earning your two daughters and six more earning your flocks. And you changed my wages 10 times. In fact, the God of my father had not been on my side, the God of Abraham, the fearsome God of Isaac, you would have sent me away empty-handed. I think at that point, Laban probably was like, what happened to this quiet boy? Right? I never knew this quiet man had such a voice. Now, remember I told you that the text was silent when Jacob, the son of Reuben, slept with his concubine. Jacob may not have said anything then, but he did when the time counted. Genesis chapter 49, verses 2 through 4. Jacob was given last words to all of his sons, the son of Jephthah. So he says to them, Come and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my strength, the child of my vigorous youth. You are first in rank and first in power. But you're as unruly as a flood, and you will no longer be first. For you went to bed with my wife. And you defile my marriage now. Jacob took away Reuben's firstness. That was a blow. That was a blow that applied to Jacob. Now, Jacob, what we're seeing, can, can fight with his words, but he was more than that. I think the guy also must have been extremely tough. Most people believe in, in chapter 32 of Genesis that the wrestling match that he had was with. God. Listen to it in uh, Genesis 32, verse 24 and 26. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and rested out of sight. And the man said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The way I read that is that Jacob would have beaten God in a wrestling match had God not used some trickery in himself, thrown the hip out of the That's tough. That is tough. A lover and a fighter. When the time came to be buried, you could really tell what kind of man Jacob had become. This quiet home life. Listen to Genesis chapter 50, verse 17. And so Joseph went up to bury his father, and he was accompanied by all sons of Mary with Jacob, all the senior members of Pharaoh's household, and all the senior officers, officers of Egypt. That was quite the funeral profession. For Jacob, there must have been way more beneath the surface. 
must have known from the beginning that this man would be great, even if the description of him or the front of his life didn't initially seem like a great man's description. God saw the real Jacob, and he claimed this man for his own. Let's see what the promise in Genesis chapter 28. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and the Lord said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. It will spread out in all directions, to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land, but I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised. Very similar promise that God has given Jacob's dad, Isaac, and his grandfather, you may be wondering, why am I telling you all this? Why do I present the third patriarch in this manner? In our culture today, 2014, we're really good at stereotyping people. Our culture is really good at look, looking down on certain types of people. Our culture is a culture that doesn't typically look beneath the surface, but